This is episode number 58 of the Bearded Marketers podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. Catch new episodes every Monday morning at thebeardedmarketers.com slash podcast. Of course, you can also catch them on iTunes, bring you the latest, the issues, the world-changing events that happen in internet marketing every single week. We bring them to you without any ads, promos, none of that crap. So let's just get right down into it. We don't need to do this long, drawn-out intro. What are you drinking to get into the mood for this week's podcast? This week, we're turning back to a classic of mine, some Glenfiddich 15, double neat, quite tasty. How about yourself? I think that's what we did last week. I'm doing scotch as well. I'm doing the Macallan 12. Oh, yeah. We actually got some new ones. We actually have some new ones on the way, so keep your ears peeled. So starting things off, staple a show, Google Corner, what are the latest happenings from Mountain View, rolling through some updates on the Twitter side of things. What are some new advertising venues or options that you have in Twitter and how you might can use them? And we're going to have a discussion around viral content. What are some takeaways that we see and maybe some items that you can leverage in your own campaigns? A great topic that I feel like most people don't actually critically assess their websites on, wasting users' time. So we're going to talk about some ways in which we do that, some things that you can avoid to really treat the user's time preciously because if we don't, they're definitely going to peace out and then we're going to lose out. And then wrapping things up with a guide to how you need to craft, curate your content. Mm, Good word. How's the best way to really disseminate the thoughts that you want and have people engage with your content for some longevity and building that audience that we all yearn for? So first things first, Mountain View, our friends at Google, what are some new happenings or some rumblings that we've heard from there? Well, if you've been with us for a while, you've probably heard us mention, but if you haven't, there is a figure over there, his name is Matt Cutts, that people should pay attention to because he heads up the policy team over at Google. Now, what is their job? Well, I would say wrecker of dreams. Other people <laughs> would classify it as different things, but what they're solely in charge with is monitoring the quality and spam assessing penalties to websites through Google. So what does that mean? If you've ever had a website burned by Google where they thought that you were spamming links or assessing you a penalty in their natural search, things like that, that's actually going to come from Matt's team. And they set the policies are the overlords in that area. Yeah, enforce the rules and, like you said, wreck lives. And they also change their mind sometimes. We <laughs> won't get into that. But uh, anyways... What has happened recently, which I would say is has marked a good change, is they've gotten more customer-facing and releasing videos on a more regular basis, answering some of the burning questions that people have. So instead of having the conspiracy theorists out there with their aluminum foil, they're getting more transparent about some of their policies. So a video that they just released recently talks about title tags. And as a company, you might have noticed that in some instances when you search for things online and your website comes up in Google, that, hey, wait a minute, that's not the title tag that I wrote. And if you don't know what a title tag is, you know, we can tweet out a link or something like that. But conceptually, what he talked about is Google looks for relevancy to what the user is searching for. So if they feel that your title tag for that query is not very relevant, which he didn't go into specifics on, which probably has to do with their algorithm and all that. But if it's not very related, what they'll start to do is look for more content to pull from both not only on your website, so they can search your homepage or whatever destination page that they might be sending people for that search, 
but they'll also look at the links that are pointed to your site to try to understand a little bit more about what you do and how that might be relevant to what people are searching for. And they will also consult the Open Directory project to potentially build their own title tag and really discount what you've told them might be your title tag. So he gives some pretty interesting tips on some of the logic behind that. That does mean that you're not necessarily always in control of your title tags, but with some of that information, I think what websites can do is start to think about who is our target audience? What are some of the ways that they are going to search out our content and our website? And how can we craft our title tags to be most relevant to that? And I think that's going to also mean that you need to really pay attention to your webmaster tools to see what those changes actually do. Another Mm -hmm. shout out, if you don't use webmaster tools, where are you at? You need to be doing it. So it's an interesting talk. It's definitely worth a listen. It's only two or three minutes long. So where where can you it. find these? I know, I know he does them on YouTube. I'm guessing there's a channel. Does he also Correct. post them to madcats.com or is that I'm now defunct? I'm not actually or? sure. I'm, I'm okay. subscribed to him on YouTube, so that's where okay. I get them. All right. So the title changes. I mean, I think this is something they've been doing with description tags for a very long time. Correct. Now. So, mm-hmm. which by the way, isn't open directory projects sort of defunct at this point? You can't. Yeah, I don't think you can submit. And I think yeah. it's kind of an automated it's, thing it's at this point. It's weird they pull from there at this point. But yeah, okay. So yeah, something to, to pay attention to with your headlines. I haven't noticed it with many of my websites, maybe just because I write amazing title tags. Probably. You know, shout A out to me. Smith. <laughs> <laughs> I've noticed it on some of our partners that work in, I would say, very competitive marketplaces. Yeah. I have noticed where there's some title tag manipulation. But thankfully, when we have crafted the websites, planned them out, we have our headings and title tags in line to where we're providing good fallbacks on particularly things like home pages and main category mm-hmm. pages. So that's an interesting thing from Google this week. Also, if you weren't paying attention to and you use AdWords, there's a new tool out there that is quite slick. It's their keyword planning tool. And what they've done is released a ton of new features. In the past, you could submit keywords to Google and they would give you some, it was never accurate, but some estimation on volume and how many people might be searching for that in a given day. But now what they've done is taken that to the 10th level compared to what they used to give you. And so now you can break it down by device types, geographical regions, they pull in trend information, uh, just a wealth of knowledge that is communicated to you as an end user to really anticipate what keywords are going to be worth it for you to not only bid on, but maybe craft content. So we use... AdWords data, not just in our PPC efforts, but also understanding SEO, what things that we should be potentially paying attention to with our target audiences. So check it out, keyword planning tool. We'll tweet out a link to it, but a wealth of information, like a business intelligence tool at this point. Yeah, it's really the only one left by one of the major search providers that's Mm -hmm. worth anything. And they keep refining it. I think fairly recently they made the numbers a lot more accurate, whereas they used to sort of round to very large numbers. They're starting to get more (laughs) accurate. Rounding was very generous. (laughs) With some of those things. So Sounds like they're listening to everybody's complaints and making that tool more useful. That's our Google Corner for this week. We want to move right along. We were just talking about advertising, so it's a natural segue into Twitter land. Over the last couple weeks, they've rolled out, I mean, they've had a beta for a while, but they've rolled out website cards. So if you're not familiar, you have a couple of advertising options within Twitter, and this is a new arrow in the quiver, so to say, that you can use on Twitter to get more attention and advertise out to their followers. I will say, from a design standpoint, 
looks very much like a Facebook post. I'm just going to throw mm-hmm. that one out there. Yeah. But I know that you run quite a few campaigns on Twitter, so maybe you could talk to what you've seen. I don't know if you've run any yet, but what your thoughts might be on that. No, I haven't run anything yet. I think this is really pretty new. I just got an email from my rep at Twitter, I don't know, a couple of days ago or something. So it's pretty new. It's definitely just Twitter's move towards... I don't know if you've seen the new update to the Twitter profiles either. Mm-hmm. Uh, just making them feel much more interactive, much more stuff going on. I mean, the Twitter cards are obviously going to increase interaction rates, especially when you run ads with them. We've seen massive increases in interaction rates just from including pictures. So now you're going to be able to include a little title and a paragraph and a link. And so obviously it's going to really help out. And we're trying to test these in the next couple of weeks here. So we'll be able to come back to you guys with much more specific information about how they work. How Twitter um, changed your life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hopefully. That sort of segues into the next topic we're going to talk about, which is something I think we bring up every once in a while, but I think it's important to continually bring up the trends that are happening in social networking. Because with changes like Twitter is making right now, the tips and strategies that everyone else are, are you know using and the ones that are actually working change over time and can even change over the course of a few weeks. Something that used to work no longer does anymore because they've changed the features or because everyone else is doing it. So it's important to keep track with what's going on in the social networking world, especially with ads and trying to drive traffic. So I wanted to give you guys a few tips. This is from okdork.com, which is I think run by Noah Kagan, who looked at a bunch of different social media accounts and campaigns and looked at interaction rates based on different kinds of content that you post. So here's number one, long form content gets more social shares than short form content which I wanted to mention this one because I think it was kind of counterintuitive to what a lot of Mm -hmm. people would maybe think. I oftentimes see some of the most highly followed Twitter accounts and Instagram and whatever, and they're just random crap posted there all the time. Right. Right. It's So when he says long form, though, 3,000 to 10,000 words gets the highest number of average shares. That is a book. Exactly. It goes down pretty steadily as you drop in the word count. So 2,000 to 3,000 words drops by about 10%, a 20% drop down to 1,000 to 2,000 words. And then beneath that, there's another 10 to 20% drop. Just hearing that, I wonder how much of that is driven by, like you said, most of the stuff that you see on these social channels is little quips or, you know, a lot of bullshit, to be frank. Mm -hmm. And to see someone put that much effort into their content I think that maybe it makes it stand out. So people have a higher likelihood of sharing it because it does stand out from the normal minutia that you see on these channels. Or (laughs) this may be a little bit harsh, but maybe sometimes people don't read it. So they see it very long. They're like, wow, that looks cool. So I'm going to just share it and I don't really read it. (laughs) That's exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) You see what you would consider maybe a cornerstone type article. This is well, obviously well researched. There's a lot of shit going on in Mm -hmm. here. I'm not really going to read it per se. I'll skim it. Mm -hmm. But this definitely seems like something that would make me seem smart if I tweeted it out to everybody. (laughs) I think that is probably skewing some of the data there. Number two, having, and this is something we've, like, I I think I just mentioned this when we were talking about Twitter earlier, having at least one image in your post, and this is about Facebook, leads to more Facebook shares. So the average for having no images is 28. For having at least one image is 64.9. It's quite a difference. Huge difference there. Mm I think similar stats here on Twitter. So here's the stats on Twitter for having at least one image in your post. Average number of Twitter shares for has no images, nine, you know, whatever, 10. Has at least one image, about 20. So double your interaction shares by including images in your Twitter stuff. Wow. 
All right, and this is the last one I'm going to mention on this list. I think it's a list of 10. I'm going to skip straight to number 10. The best day overall to publish content for social sharing is Tuesday. Interesting. It looks like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are the behemoths in terms of sharing across all the different networks. Saturday and Sunday, nothing is going on. Friday, it starts to wean off. But Tuesday is the main day for trying to get stuff out there. Yeah. Exactly. Might I mean, be worth I, some testing with your specific audience, but yeah, good that's baseline to know. Right. That's what I was going to say is that obviously that some of that's going to depend on your specific audience, but it looks like Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday drops a little bit, but Thursday picks up again. So Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, if you're looking for shares, don't post anything on the weekend. <laughs> People everyone's, don't care. Everyone's just creeping on the weekend, <laughs> not sharing anything. All right. So that's it for uh, the latest in social network sharing statistics. One of the articles I came across, it was on Smashing Magazine this week. Just the title, great job. Great job on your title of the article. And it was Stop Wasting Users' Time. And why that really stuck out to me was I feel, even in our consulting, so little of people actually think in those types of terms. And that it's always concentrated on how we can increase conversion, how we can do X, but very few people take the idea of users' time very seriously. That's kind of just like an afterthought. You mm-hmm. know, aggravation might come into play or things like that or usability, but users' time is something that's usually kind of a sideline comment or something that's not really considered. But I think that especially in some of the tests that we've run and just talking with users and looking at trends over time, the amount of frustration particularly is very correlated with this. But I think that that also has some severe impacts to your conversion. So how do we frame that? We've seen data from people like walmart.com. They found that when their load times jump one second to four seconds, conversions dropped very sharply, which is something that we would anticipate. But just for every one second of improvement, they experienced up to a 2% conversion order placed increase, which for someone like that is a huge amount of money. That that has to be tens of millions of dollars right there. So people's time and effort on your websites is something that you should be chiefly concerned with. And so here are some tips on maybe you aren't someone that's thought about people's time in your visitors. So what are some things that I need to prioritize? Well, when it comes to website speed, there's a lot of things that you can tackle there that might take a conversation with your IT development team. But you can look at things like Google's PageSpeed product is really good on ranking your site versus industry standards, but also giving you a great roadmap on things that you need to prioritize. So they'll list like critical issues, medium priority, low priority. They also are now taking into account mobile devices. So they'll give you a mobile speed as well and some issues that your site might have on mobile devices that might be slowing it up. Might help you as a marketer. Sometimes our arrangements with our IT teams can be a very abrasive relationship. And having another tool that might help point you in a certain direction to not necessarily check up on your team, but at least know what you're kind of talking about and have a more well thought out conversation can really help you in some of those instances. So check out tools like that. Some very high level things. You might want to look at optimizing your images. Different formats that you use can change your file sizes radically, which often will influence your load times. Check how many trackers you have on your site, how many JavaScript libraries you're using. As more and more features and tools have rolled out, things like share this and things like that, sometimes our websites get pretty bloated 
and some of those features aren't kept up over time or they just use really poor uh, delivery services. So your page will start hanging up with all these features that you might start adding over time. So even things like WordPress can get very, very bloated and very slow over time. So, you know, make sure you're taking the bright steps to make sure your site is as fast as possible. Now, this is one everyone might just get angry thoughts immediately when we start talking about it. But choose your capture provider very carefully or really assess if it's necessary. That is a big contention point for a lot of users. And while younger folks or more web savvy people might not have that much difficulty with it, People, particularly with bad eyesight or not the most savviest crowd, uh, can really struggle with these. And some of the providers, the examples that they give are really hard to read. And if I'm in the middle of trying to transact with you or give you my lead information or whatever it might be, this can really be make or break for a lot of people. And I know that you've had some recent angry customers with CAPTCHAs, but... Well, yeah, I mean, and we implemented them in a way on a like a password reset page so I felt it was maybe sort of necessary although thinking Mm -hmm. back on it I guess maybe it really wasn't but it's always strikes me as like shocking when I come across a website where I'm signing up for some service and there's a captcha on it I'll get to that and I'll stare at it like in in, like amazement like I cannot (laughs) believe that they're doing this number one that they're doing it number two okay now I have to focus can I read this and actually sign up for an account it's one of those things I mean I can't think of many scenarios where a captcha is really necessary beyond leaving anonymous comments on blogs. Right. Why else do we need captures, I guess? So keeping the theme of forms, you know, the next thing we would talk about is don't make users correct their mistakes. And what do we mean by this? Many times when we're asking for information like you were talking about, we get very specific in the formats that we require people to input information. You know, telephone numbers, do I need parentheses, do I not, do I have spaces or not in my name, things like that. And it's very easy for a programmer to say, this is a very specific set of inputs that I need, and you need to make your users do this. Well, the cost there is just added frustration. And you might get people that are confused with how They need to actually give their information to you. And yes, it will take some additional programming effort to accept more formats and potentially manipulate that data in a way that you want in your own databases. But that is critical. In the usability studies that I've sat on looking at panels, that is a big hang-up for a lot of people and forcing them into certain formats that even for some like countries is not typical. Mm-hmm. You know, it might be how we do things in the US, but that type of formatting or whatnot doesn't work internationally and it might really confuse people. But again, why restrain your users? Like take the additional effort up front and make it as easy as possible. Not to we mention, want your money. Yeah, not to mention that whole concept can change drastically just based on the wording you have. For example, sure. in front of an address field, if you just call it address people are likely to type in their entire address when really you're just looking for the address one part or the street address part, not the whole city state. Um, You know, so it's things like that. Even design changes can affect what kind of verification you need to put on certain fields. Rearranging a whole address city state uh, zip code way that it's inputted can change the types of information that people put in each one of those fields and can confuse people or help people and would then have to change how you verify some of that information. I've seen people do some really crazy stuff with address fields. 
um, in these last <laughs> few weeks working with one of our clients. So definitely something to actually pay attention to, spend some time, you know, talking about frustrating users. That's a big one. Oh, yeah. So the last two that we can cover quite quickly is be very cognizant of how complicated you make your passwords, if that is something that you do on your site. Again, I understand that security is a big concern, but why do I need to have this password that is more and more increasingly complex and every site is different. And so as an end user, we all get very frustrated with, I need to have five common passwords that I might use throughout all all these sites. And I can't remember which one I used on the site because your requirements were probably a little bit different. And so I try maybe three of those. They all fail. And now I'm locked out of my account for 30 minutes. Try to avoid that frustration. And I think your focus needs to be really on securing your data set so making your infra- making sure your infrastructure is secure, but not necessarily getting too crazy with how complex people need to make their passwords or maybe come up with some more creative ways to get around passwords or creating a passphrase. And the last one I think that a lot of people need to kind of take into consideration, this really goes on to the usability route, but helping users process our content faster. I think a lot of people need to spend more time in understanding how do we navigate content? How do we organize on-page UI elements to really dissect sites and get to the most relevant content the fastest? Now, some companies want page views, especially if you're in advertising and things like that. You want those impressions. But you have to balance that with users' frustration with, this site seems pretty cool, but I can't really find anything worth value really easily. So I think I'm just going to peace out and go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So keep those in mind. Giving users the respect of their time as much as possible, I think, will really help increase your conversion rate. I think those tips can really give you a good roadmap on how to do that. So wrapping things up, Rob, you had an interesting content guide for people that are curating pieces and articles on their sites or just general content. Here's some tips and strategies on how to create and maintain that type of content. So this is an example of one of those 10,000 word articles that I didn't really read, but I'm going to share it with everyone right now. All jokes aside, though, I think it is something to, to pay attention to. I think all too often... I mean, we're facing this here even with the bearded marketers. Delivering great content on a regular basis is very difficult, especially if you don't actually take the time to plan things out, come up with strategies, come up with branding identities. I mean, there are all sorts of the things that you think that, oh, I'm just writing a blog. I don't really need to do all this stuff. No, you kind of do need to get legit with some of these things and actually pay attention to it and put a lot of effort into it. So I'm going to give you some of the final takeaways maybe some commentary on a few of them. And then I think we'll just post the link up on Twitter or you could just go to distill.net slash content dash guide to read the whole thing. So final takeaways for this thing is number one, these are basically steps you should go through to create an effective content marketing program. So step one, identify who your audience is and what they want. And I think some of the examples they gave were, again, getting legit with this, not just assuming what people want, using things like the keyword planner tool like you were talking about earlier, doing things like user panels, surveys, actually going out there and trying to find out what people are looking for, not just copying what your competitors are are writing articles about. Get more legit with some of those strategies you're using. Number two, develop a brand identity. Don't just let five different blog writers write in completely different styles. Use images in different ways. Use different colors and things like that in different ways. Develop a quick brand guideline document that helps your writers or whoever else is developing content or even yourself stick to a certain framework where you do things in a certain way. Some people are hesitant to that because they feel like, oh, I'm going to be restrained. But I find that creating templates like that 
a lot of times provides you more freedom. It's like, I don't have to concentrate on those types of things and waste brain power on that. I know the template. I can focus strictly on my content. I don't have to worry about those types of things. So if you are apprehensive about that, just remember that sometimes having a template is freeing to concentrate on other things. Yeah. So don't put the kibosh on that right away. It can really help you. Number three, take inventory of your current content brainstorm your future content and organize the processes. You may actually have to bust out that old program you never like to use, Excel. Build a few tabs, build some scheduling for what you're going to be setting up. You know, Maybe set up a few different types of categories of content. How do those all merge together and how does the entire timeline of when you post things, does it make sense? Does it follow what other people are expecting from a company like you? Actually take the time to really sit down and schedule things out. Number four, Define the goals of your content and identify some metrics for trying to measure those goals. That can be a tough one. I hate a lot of people who focus on, oh, look how many likes we got. I think it's a combination of all of those different metrics combined is what gives you a good idea of how well your stuff is performing. So don't just look at how many tweets you got. How much traffic did you get as well as how many tweets did we get? We can use all of these things in a combined way to get a good idea of how how much, not only how much do people like our stuff, but are they actually clicking on it and reading it? How much time mm-hmm. did they spend on our site? Did they actually submit a lead form at the end of that article or whatever it is? Number five, identify and improve the weak points in your process. And they say writing process here, but I'm trying to apply this to more things than just articles. So say, for example, you try a certain piece of content and it just completely bombs. Well, maybe now you have to go back to your schedule and figure out, okay, why did that specific piece bomb versus the other ones that did really well that were awfully similar? Try to identify what those problems were and fix them and change your your future scheduling so you don't continue to do things that don't work well for you. Finally, continue to monitor and measure your success of your content even after it's launched. So don't just pay attention to the metrics for those two days after you post something on Twitter, mm-hmm. follow it for the next few months. I mean, sometimes you may find that things get popular again. Right. Uh, a- another good tip, which is one that I didn't mention from that earlier article from OK Dork, which was sometimes, you, you know, if you build evergreen content, it makes sense to retweet it out again, maybe an, a month after you've already made it. See if it gets traction again, if it didn't do so well the first time. So just because you've built something and put a piece of content out there, that doesn't mean you just ignore it forever. Continue to measure it and see how well it's doing. Yeah, particularly if like new news or features in that topic area come up, it's a great way to recycle some of the content that you have and maybe bring some fresh eyes into your brand. Yeah, exactly. So those are some of the final takeaways that they had in this article. Again, in a lot of points, I think they focused maybe a little too heavily on the writing process itself and, and actual articles. But I think the concept of some of this stuff applies to everything. Obviously, you know, the web has moved on past just simple articles, infographics, videos now are massive, mm-hmm. uh, images, all of this stuff. It's all the same sort of principles apply. So give it a read, even if you don't focus with a blog. Like we here at the Beard of Markers, we don't have a blog. We mm-hmm. felt like it didn't fit our style. But we still use a lot of these concepts in planning out our content, be it the videos, be it this podcast or whatever else we post to Twitter. So, Well, and even when you're just generating content for a website, a lot of those also fit as well. Like yeah. just creating content pages, uh, I think, are very applicable as well. That's going to do it for us on episode number 58. Thank you so much for your time. We love you. If you enjoyed yourself... Share with a friend. Also, leave us a review on iTunes. Be greatly appreciated. If you have an idea for the show, 
Or maybe you're struggling with something. You think, ah, oh, man, the boss is really yelling at me. It's on my ass about something, and I don't really know where to turn. Shoot us a line at thebeardmarketers.com, or you can give us a call at 904-270-9603, or just drop us a tweet, and we'll be sure to work it into a content schedule. That's going to do it again for us. We will see you next week.